Section 10 of Ontario Public School Geography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ontario Public School Geography by the Educational Book Company of Toronto, Section 10. Introductory. The Ocean. Ocean Life. Although we often speak of the sea as a waste of waters, yet the ocean teemed with life long before land animals or plants made their appearance upon our planet remains of seaweeds and marine animals which are known as fossils are found in older rocks than any which contain fossils of land life today the ocean is the home of an incredible number of plants and animals as a matter of fact there is a far greater number of them and a much larger variety in the sea than upon the land nor should we forget the life upon the ocean many varieties of birds obtain their food from it and spend their greater part of their existence either flying over it or swimming on its surface among the best known are the graceful gull the awkward penguin greatest of all ocean swimming birds and the huge albatross largest of all sea birds the vegetation of the sea ranges from tiny plants too small to be seen without the help of a microscope to huge growths which would measure a quarter of a mile in length if stretched out straight. The Red Sea owes its name to the fact that enormous numbers of tiny carmine-tinted plants thrive in its waters. These sometimes rise to the surface and tinge the water for miles. Seaweeds grow in all latitudes, even in the polar seas. The larger varieties cling to the rocks in shallow water close to land, or float unattached in quiet areas of deep water. They form marine forests, in which dwell countless millions of sea animals, such as mollusks, jellyfishes, sea worms and crabs, as well as fish of all sizes, which prey upon these animals and upon one another. Some varieties of seaweed provide palatable food for men. The Irish peasant eats seaweed as a relish with his potatoes. The Scottish fishermen are fond of a certain kind, known as dulse, the natives of the South Sea Islands, the Chinese, and the Japanese are all fond of similar seafood. Seaweed serves man in other ways also. Paper can be made from it. Some valuable chemicals, such as iodine, can be extracted from certain species of it. From other varieties, the Japanese make a strong glue, with which they stiffen the paper used for making fans, screens, hangings, and the like. Seaweed is a good fertilizer and much is used for this purpose by farmers near the coast. The array of animal life which the ocean presents is so vast that we cannot hope to learn more than a very little about it. It ranges from microscopic animals of the simplest type to the huge whale, the largest of all living creatures. The most we can do is to learn something about the ocean animals, which are especially useful to man. The sponges, which we buy at the drug store, are really the skeletons of sea animals of a low type. Sponges are found chiefly in the warm waters of the tropical seas. They are gathered by divers or by men in small boats, who tear them from the sea bottom with long poles. The sponges are put through a long process of rotting, beating, rinsing, and bleaching before they are ready for the market. In the warm waters of the tropical seas lives another creature, stranger still, the coral polyp, is a very tiny sea animal which builds up its minute body with lime extracted from the sea water. 
the beautiful coral which you probably have seen consists of the bodies of millions of coral polyps the bodies of these polyps form massive foundations of coral in the shallow water close to the coast of a continent around an island or upon a submarine volcanic peak the skeletons of successive generations of polyps heighten the reef of coral until its top rises above the waves fragments of shells pieces of coral and sand are piled up by the waves on or behind the reef so that new land is made in this manner coral islands are formed certain plants particularly the cocoa nut palm flourish on these islands a great many even form suitable homes for men the red coral of which necklaces and other ornaments are made comes chiefly from the shores of sicily and sardinia in the mediterranean sea the gathering cutting polishing and mounting of coral provides work for many men in these islands and in southern italy the pearl oyster provides us with an even more beautiful substance than coral these oysters coat the inside of their shells with a bright iridescent covering this lustrous substance we call mother of pearl pearls are composed of the same substance deposited about some irritating object such as a grain of sand which has found its way inside the animal's shell pearl oysters are found in the warm waters of the tropics they are obtained by divers usually natives who are wonderfully expert swimmers the oysters are brought ashore and opened many contain tiny pearls known as seed pearls occasionally a lucky pearler secures one of the great lustrous gems which are among the most beautiful and precious of all jewels the pearler depends mainly upon the shells however for his living they are in great demand and command a good price they are used for making buttons and many other small objects in which a hard beautiful surface is desired most of us however are more interested in the common oyster which is so delicious as food vast quantities of these are consumed annually in europe north america australia and asia the people of london england eat more than a billion oysters every year yet the number consumed by man is probably not so great as the number eaten by the many varieties of sea animals which consider the oyster a dainty tidbit fortunately oysters multiply very rapidly a single oyster lays from sixteen million to sixty million eggs in one season the eggs soon hatch into tiny oysters no larger than a needle point oysters reach their full growth when they are three or four years old no list of sea delicacies would be complete unless it includes the lobster and his close relatives the crab the shrimp and the prawn all these belong to a single family with hard armor-like shells the lobster is caught with traps baited with meat or dead fish and set on the bottom not far from the shore each trap is big enough to hold several lobsters every few days the traps are hauled up and emptied the lobsters are kept in floating cages until enough are caught for a shipment to the market the east coast of canada is famous for its excellent lobsters the chinese are particularly fond of a curious kind of seafood which probably you would not like this is beche de mer or trepang a large sea slag found principally around the coral islands of the tropics these creatures look much like big cucumbers two to three feet in length and two to four inches thick they are picked up by the fishermen at low tide after being cleaned they are boiled dried and smoked then they are shipped to china where they command a big price 
all these however are but slight contributions to the food supply of man when compared with the enormous quantities of fish which the ocean yields thousands of millions of pounds are taken annually and the supply seems inexhaustible fish like oysters multiply very rapidly a single codfish lays annually three million eggs or more you can see that countless cod could be eaten by other fish or caught by man and still there will be an abundant supply among the commonest of the food fishes are the cod the mackerel the salmon the herring the halibut the haddock and the sardine this list names only a very small number of the varieties of sea fish which are caught for food southern china for instance has so many varieties that the chinamen may have a different kind of fish for breakfast every day in the year you have already read of the seal and the walrus which help the eskimo to live in his frozen land one kind of seal also is hunted by white men for its beautiful fur the hide of the walrus makes magnificent leather and its large tusks are valuable as ivory whaling used to be one of the most important of marine industries the oil obtained from the fat of the whale was very valuable and the whalebone brought a good price lately however the increasing use of mineral oil and of metal substitutes for whalebone has made whaling much less profitable and comparatively few ships are now used for this purpose homer the great poet of ancient greece sings of the unharvested sea and so doubtless it was in those old days before man conquered the ocean and exacted from it the tribute which is his due now however the harvest of the sea ranks second only to the harvest of the land and the reaping of that harvest gives occupation to hundreds of thousands of men all over the world sea water the water of the ocean is not fresh and sweet like the water of our rivers and lakes it tastes bitter and increases thirst instead of slaking it ocean-going vessels have to carry with them their supply of drinking water there is no worse fate for a sailor than to be cast adrift in a small boat without a supply of fresh water with quote, water water everywhere nor any drop to drink end quote about a twenty-fifth part of a sea-water is not water at all but consists of a number of substances dissolved in the water you can make sea-water in your own home buy a package of sea-salts at a drug store add one spoonful of the salts to about twenty-four spoonfuls of fresh water stir the water around until the salts have disappeared the solution which you have made is very much the same as the sea-water taken right from the ocean if you cannot get sea-salts use common salt instead almost four-fifths of the sea-salts is just common salt if you place the sea-water upon the stove and boil it gently the water gradually boils away the salts however remain in the bottom of the dish salt does not evaporate like water when the rain falls upon the earth some of it soaks through the soil to reappear again in springs some of it runs over the surface of the ground into creeks and rivers the soil contains quantities of the same salts which are found in the sea-water as the rain-water passes through or over the ground it dissolves some of these salts which the soil contains rivers all over the world are pouring this water into the ocean in this way salts are being brought constantly to the ocean you have already seen how the air is continually absorbing water from the ocean and how the winds carry it to land where it falls as rain you have just learned that the air cannot absorb salt for when our sea-water was boiled the salt remained after all the water had passed into the air can any of the salt brought to the ocean by rivers be carried back to the land by the winds 
the ocean is daily receiving more salt but it loses none part of the world's supply of salt is obtained by evaporating sea water and collecting the salt which is left this method is used chiefly in those regions of the world where the sun is hot enough to evaporate water quickly for instance on some of the islands of the west indies and along the shores of the mediterranean sea a much greater quantity of salt is obtained from deposits buried deep in the earth this salt too is really a gift of the ocean long long ago the land was covered by the ocean when the land emerged above the waves thick layers of salt were left in the low places which were the last to become dry in the course of time these salt beds were buried deep in the earth gradually the salt was pressed into a hard mass such salt we call rock salt there are many such deposits of salt in the world very large salt beds have been found in southwestern ontario the salt contained in these beds is exceptionally pure it is obtained by boring holes down to the layer of salt which is more than one thousand feet below the surface of the ground then water is forced down the shaft it dissolves the salt forming a strong brine the brine is pumped out and evaporated then the salt is purified and boxed or bagged for the market you have doubtless seen packages of this salt at your grocer's and possibly use it at every meal thus although sea water is unfit to drink we must remember that its very bitterness is a sign that it holds within it the salt which man prizes so highly for seasoning and preserving his food how tasteless and unappetizing our meals would be without it salt is so common and so cheap in our country that we use it freely and without a thought of how keenly we should miss it in some parts of africa salt is so scarce that it is used in trade instead of money in abyssinia it is said men carry about little sticks of rock salt and suck them just as canadian children suck sticks of candy when an abyssinian gentleman meets a friend he offers him salt stick to lick he can imagine no finer treat the ocean floor the oceans lie in great basins or troughs between the continents the floor of the ocean is for the most part a vast plain laying about twelve thousand or fifteen thousand feet below the surface this plain is covered with a deep layer of fine white particles forming a substance called ooze the ooze consists of the skeletons of myriads of tiny animals these are so small that a microscope is needed to see them at all during their lives they remain close to the surface of the water but as they die their bodies sink to the bottom in this way a thick coating of chalky material has accumulated over the ocean floor the famous chalk cliffs of england and france were once a part of this ooze at the bottom of the sea in the course of ages they have been raised high above the water and now form cliffs which are visible for miles over the sea this great plain of the ocean floor is not entirely unbroken here and there are deep depressions in some of which the bottom is more than five miles below the surface there are also a number of ridges and hills rising from the ocean floor these have been formed by lava poured out by volcanoes under the water in many cases the volcanic action has been so violent and the mass of lava ejected so great that peaks have been formed which are higher than the water these form volcanic islands the islands of japan are examples of such a formation the deep trough of the oceans does not extend right to the coasts of the continents the sea floor rises rather abruptly at a varying distance from the shore so that there is a shallow area surrounding each continent and extending for some distance out from the coast the floor of this shallow area over which the water is usually not more than six hundred feet deep is called the continental shelf 
the continental shelf is narrowest where lofty mountains border the sea most of the islands which are close to a continent are really high places on the continental shelf the british isles are part of the continental shelf of europe newfoundland stands on the continental shelf of north america find on the map other islands which form part of the continental shelf of our continent currents we speak of the land as terra firma that is the solid land we speak also of the restless ocean and with equal reason we can see the movements of the water upon the surface beneath the surface too there is a constant movement although we cannot see it the water of the ocean is never still water like air becomes lighter when warmed and heavier when cooled whenever a body of water is heated in one place and cooled in another differences of density are produced which cause a movement of the water the heated water tends to move along the surface toward the cooled area while the cooled water flows in the opposite direction below it in the ocean there is a slow but steady interchange of water between the hot equatorial belt and the cold polar seas the dense water of the antarctic and arctic oceans keeps settling down to the bottom then it flows off in the lower levels of the ocean toward the equator there it slowly rises again to the surface becomes warm and moves back toward the poles this constant though almost imperceptible movement of the ocean water is of great importance because of it the tropical seas are cooler than they otherwise would be and the polar seas warmer the winds which blow over them are similarly affected this slow steady circulation of the ocean water is one of the reasons why the ocean exerts a moderating influence both upon the extreme heat of the tropics and upon the severe cold of high latitudes there are however even more important movements of the ocean water in each of the three great oceans are two immense systems of surface currents these currents are of practical importance partly because they have a certain influence upon sailing and steamship routes but chiefly on account of their indirect influence upon climate they determine to a certain extent the climate of the coasts along which they pass by raising or lowering the temperatures of the winds which blow over them toward the land the trade winds of the atlantic covering two belts parallel to the equator drive before them two westward currents called the north and south equatorial currents the south equatorial current strikes the wedge-like coast of brazil and is split in two one part turns south and flows down the east coast of south america until it reaches the latitude of the westerlies these turn its course and drive it eastward to the african coast there it turns and flows northward toward the equator until it rejoins the south equatorial current in the trade wind belt in this way is formed a great whirl or eddy of water two to three thousand miles wide in the south atlantic this is called the south atlantic eddy it moves in the direction opposite to that of the hands of a clock and so we say it flows counterclockwise the other part of the south equatorial flows through the caribbean sea into the gulf of mexico the north equatorial also sends part of its flow into the caribbean sea but most of it turns northward before reaching the west indies the level of the gulf of mexico is raised by the great influx of water poured into it from the south by the equatorial currents the surplus water flows out through the strait of florida and is known as the gulf stream the most famous ocean current in the world it forms a vast river of warm blue water sixty to eighty miles wide and several hundred feet deep its bright blue 
is so different from the dark green of the rest of the ocean that sailors can often actually see the edge of the stream as they enter it. The Gulf Stream turns sharply to the north just outside the Strait of Florida and sweeps along parallel to the coast. It gradually becomes wider, shallower, and cooler. It disappears entirely as a distinct current when it reaches the latitude of the prevailing westerlies. The westerlies keep driving the surface water of the North Atlantic across toward Europe. This current is called the North Atlantic Drift. Off the coast of Spain, most of the North Atlantic Drift turns southward and, under the name of the Canaries Current, flows toward the equator until it rejoins the North Equatorial Current. The greater part of the rest of the North Atlantic Drift is swept northeastward past the British Isles and along the coast of Norway and loses itself in the cold polar waters to the north. The North Equatorial Current, the Gulf Stream, the North Atlantic Drift and the Canaries Current form another vast eddy in the North Atlantic. It moves in the same direction as the hands of a clock and so we say it flows in a clockwise direction. The circulation of water in the Pacific Ocean is very similar to that of the Atlantic, although of course on a much larger scale. There is a clockwise eddy in the North Pacific and a counterclockwise eddy in the South Pacific, a warm current called by the Japanese the Kurosivo or Black Stream flows northward along the east coast of Asia. It corresponds pretty closely to the Gulf Stream in the Atlantic. The part of the Indian Ocean lying south of the equator contains an eddy similar to those of the South Atlantic and the South Pacific. North of the equator, the circulation of the Indian Ocean is determined by the monsoons. In the summer, when the southwest monsoon is blowing, the eddy moves in a clockwise direction. In the winter, the northeast monsoon reverses the direction of the eddy, which then moves in a counterclockwise direction. The water in the center of these great eddies is comparatively quiet. In the center of the North Atlantic eddy is a great expanse of calm water, thick with floating seaweed. This is called the Sargasso Sea, which means the Seaweed Sea. There are similar Sargasso Seas in the centers of all such eddies. The one in the North Atlantic is the best known. Besides the currents which form the eddies, there are two important cold currents flowing from the Arctic Ocean toward the equator. The Labrador current flows through Baffin Bay into the Atlantic and creeps down the coast of North America. It meets the Gulf Stream near Newfoundland. The meeting of the warm moisture-laden air above the Gulf Stream with the colder air above the Labrador current causes the fogs, which are so frequent in that region. A very similar cold current creeps down the east coast of Asia. These currents have little direct influence upon the climate of the coasts along which they pass. They affect climate only by warming or cooling the winds which blow over them toward the land. In the northern hemisphere their influence is great. The east coast of Asia is colder than the west coast of Europe, to which the North Atlantic drift brings the warm water of the Gulf Stream. In North America the west coast has a more moderate climate than the east as the prevailing westerlies are warmed during their passage over the North Pacific Drift. Tides The water line along the shores of our lakes does not change very much, although there is a slight shifting of the water level from season to season or from year to year. It is usually so little that we do not notice it. Along the sea coast the water line is constantly and perceptibly changing. Twice daily the water reaches high water mark and twice slowly recedes to low water mark. If the shore slopes down gently, the receding water leaves the wide strip of the bottom exposed, so that one may walk far out over the ground that was covered with water only a few hours before. 
at every place on the sea coast high and low water succeed each other at intervals of about six and one quarter hours these rise and fall of the water we call the tide the times of high tide follow each other quite regularly at an interval of about twelve and one half hours the high water mark and the low water mark vary however from day to day the difference between the two is greatest twice a month once about the time of the full moon and again at the time of the new moon for then the high tide is highest and the low tide lowest it is least also once a fortnight at a time just midway between full and new moon in the open oceans the tidal range or difference between low and high tides is not more than two to five feet when however the tides dash against land or enter deep gulfs or river mouths the accumulating tidal waters sometimes reach a great height the average height of the tide along the eastern coast of north america is from nine to twelve feet it reaches its greatest height in the bay of fundy nova scotia up this long v-shaped channel the tidal water rushes headlong in a foaming wave at the mouth of the bay it rises to a height of about eighteen feet above low tide it increases further up the channel until it reaches the almost incredible height of fifty to seventy feet the channels leading into some harbors are so shallow that big ships can enter them only at high tide a thorough knowledge of these tides is necessary for every practical navigator End of section ten.